This is the FBCG Live Podcast with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. Today's message is titled, Overcoming Personal Prisons, A Walk Through Philippians Part 4. Philippians chapter 4 highlights an appeal to unity, gives us direction on how to maintain peace, and challenges and emphasizes the importance of generosity. Wherever you're joining us from, we pray this message encourages and empowers you in your daily walk with God. All right, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, and that is our study for tonight, Philippians chapter 4. Let me just remind us that chapter This book, uh, we've gone through the first three chapters and what we've been studying and what we have been, what we know about this book is that Paul is incarcerated. He's in prison. And our theme for this particular uh, study has been uh, overcoming the fact that God wants us to overcome personal prisons. That's what we want to do. Overcome personal prisons. And you might be in a prison of some sort. And throughout this book, we've been seeing Paul from his prison, from his incarceration, write to the church in Philippi and give them clear instructions on what it is they should be doing, how they should be living their lives. And he does no difference in chapter 4. And so we're going to begin at verse 1 and talk about his instructions to us in chapter 4. And we're going to begin by looking at the very first verse, which in fact is a closing of chapter 3 and an introduction to chapter 4. This very first verse is concluding what he has said in chapter 3, and it is bringing and introducing chapter 4. Here's what verse number 1 says. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. This is a closeout to what he's been saying. All of the stuff that he said in chapter 3, when he challenged us and told us and beseeched us to press toward the prize of the upward call of God. That's what he told us in chapter 3. When he told us our citizenship is in heaven, we, we, we're not looking to make this, this our home here. We are citizens in heaven, he told us in chapter 3. And then he says, therefore, since we know this, since, and since we're looking forward to that day that we will exchange these earthly tabernacles and bodies for a heavenly body and a heavenly tabernacle, he says to us, therefore, my beloved, and long for, brother, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord. He is a, it is a challenge to us to stand fast in Christ, to be firm and dedicated and committed to be with him. And so make a note of that, that that is his encouragement to us, to stand fast in the Lord. And I want to encourage you today, I don't care what you're going through, what your challenges might be, what your personal prison might be, I want to challenge you and encourage you to stay, stand fast. That word stand fast means to hang in there, hold tight, hold, get a grip too. It's a challenge to maintain your walk with the Lord. Don't let anybody or anything discourage you or pull you away from your obedience to God. Hang in there. Why? Because we're pursuing the upward call of God. Why? Because we have another building not made by the hands of man. Why? Because one day we're going to be transformed. Our bodies are going to lay down. These earthly tabernacles are going to be laid down. And we're going to pick up a brand new body. Stand fast, he says, in the Lord. And then he goes in in the next section. And let me talk about uh, the section thing. He wants to make in verses 2 through 5, he wants to make an appeal for unity. When he gets to chapter 2, I'm sorry, uh, verses 2 through 5, 
he 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 is aware that there is some disharmony in the church. And I think this is uh, unfortunate in the church. He says in verse number two, I implore uh, Euodia and Syntyche, those two two ladies, uh, and I implore I employ uh, Euodia, Euodia and Syntyche. And I employ Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you, verse 3, also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It is, a, uh, it is an appeal to one of the saints in the church to help these two ladies who have a challenge. It is an appeal to help these two women who have some level of conflict. We don't know what it is. He doesn't tell us what the conflict is. But we know that there's two women in the church that are not on the same page. And it is his encouragement to try to get them on the same page. And he says to uh, one of these true companions, and he doesn't call out by name, help these women who labored with me. These are my friends. You know, one of the most challenging things as a pastor, as a leader in the church is to be in a position where you got people that you love and you care for, but yet they have conflict between them. To have people in the kingdom of God serving under, under the same leader, people who are advancing the kingdom of God, but yet they can't get along. There's some conflict, and I discovered, and I've been in church long enough to know that there's always some component of conflict that's going to happen in the church. But I want to um, uh, make that appeal too. I want to make an appeal... Uh, like he did, that, that, that members should help other people resolve their conflicts. Members should help other people. Don't play along with it. Don't, don't allow them to entreat you to join one side or the other. Don't join sides. Stand up for what's righteous and what's holy. Stand up for what's pleasing and acceptable to God. That's what we need to do. Um, that's, that's, that's what the call of God is for us to do. That, that's what the Lord wants us to do. So uh, Paul is appealing to them, help, help, help these sisters out. Don't let them remain in a posture of conflict. Play a role. Don't take sides, but stand up for what's right. And sometimes we have to challenge people when we see, and this, unfortunately this happens in the church, when we see people conflicting, when there's conflict, Sometimes we have to be willing to be a challenge to people. And I thought for a moment I wanted to just highlight uh, some, pl some places in Scripture that talks about what creates and causes str strife. And, and, and this is unusual for me to go and go into a Bible. I'm going to give you some verses here that, that talks about what brings elements that create strife. That's what I want to do. I want to just list down uh, some things that create a point of strife and we need to make sure in our own hearts let me just challenge you all in your own hearts um, uh, that I want you and, and, and I to examine our own selves that when if, if you have conflict with somebody is one of these items I'm about to go through are you guilty of I want to challenge you today and I want to challenge those that for us to help other people to try to eliminate and that's what Paul says help these sisters get on the same page he makes an appeal Paul makes an appeal to them and says I want to implore them to be of the same mind in the Lord 
You see, the problem comes when we start operating selfishly and in our own thing. But, but here's how we sometimes also behave. Here, here are some elements that create strife, hatred, that you just don't like the person, something about the person you don't like. And God, please help us to learn to love each other. Oh, my God. Uh, also, there's, a, there's pride. Whenever there's pride in the picture, there'll be strife. Somebody's thinking they're better than, or they deserve something, or they think they ought to be respected, or they ought to be honored or revered. Pride comes into the table. will bring strife. And the truth of the matter is, uh, we all ought to be walking in humility, thinking less of ourselves. We read, we read earlier in Philippians that we ought, to, we ought to think more highly of other people than, than, than elevating ourselves and thinking that we deserve something. Uh, also, there's anger or wrath. There's a component of anger, upset, mad. Somebody, maybe, maybe they offended you, and now it's pouring out. It creates strife. I wish I had time to talk through each one of these things. And what I want to do is challenge you, each of you, to take a look at your own life and ask yourself with the strife and the conflict that you're having with somebody, are one of these elements prevalent in your heart? Because they're somewhere in the picture. Also, they're scoffing. That's a person who speaks untruths about somebody, Proverbs 22.10. You're saying something about somebody that's just untrue. And sometimes you heard it from somebody else. You don't even know if it's true and you're repeating it. That's what scoffing is. It's, it's, it's telling something about somebody that's not true. And then some are tailbearers, tell bear, tell meaning gossip or a slanderer. And, some, and, and that word slanderer means you're telling the truth about somebody to ruin their reputation. That's what a slanderer is. And gossip falls in the same category. It might be true about the person, but you're repeating it. You're telling others, you, and it's influenced your heart, or it, or it influenced other people's hearts. Some of you are the victim of talebearers. You let people come and tell you stuff about Perk, and it may be true. And it impacts the way you re, re, relate to that person, the way you treat that person. But here's the truth, you all. Everybody in here, everybody watching, got something in their life that's true that you don't want nobody to know. Everybody got, everybody done done something to which you are guilty of. There's some gossip and some, some truth about all of us that we don't want to have repeated. And so, so, so Paul says to the church in Philippi, we, we can't let that be the way we function as a church. And so he's, he's making an appeal, and I want to make an appeal to you. We got to operate on the same page. He said, I urge you, also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. They're all saved. He said their names are in the book of life. And it's possible for us all to be saved but still have issues with each other. Nothing is more stressful for me than to have people that I love and care about have conflict with each other. And I've had a slew of them here since I've been the pastor of First Baptist Church. And I know it happens in all points of in all churches, it happens, but I'm praying that it happens less and that we don't find ourselves guilty of allowing these components and elements to enter into the parameters of our lives. Yes, your name is in the book of life, but it doesn't mean that you have the right to allow these things to harbor in your heart 
and for you to treat people in an inappropriate way. And so that's why I thought I'd just pause and go through and give you these verses. Proverbs 10, 12, Proverbs 13, 10, uh, Proverbs 28, 25, all these verses fit Proverbs 15, 18, 29, 22, 22, 10, 26, 20, all these verses. And all, you know what's common with all of these things? Here are the things that produces strife. Here's what's caused tension, disagreement, a lack of unity. God loves unity. And he's making appeal because he wants unity. And you don't want to be the person that, that contributes to a lack of unity. When people get on the same page, headed in the same direction, the power and presence of God flows in supernatural ways. The power of God is prevalent and evident. The power of God shows up. And I want to challenge you. I want to say to each of you today, make sure you are not a contributor to strife. So these two women, who call, he calls them out by name. And I, that's what I like about that. He, he, he calls about out the name of the two people that he heard about. He heard about that they ain't in, on the same page, that they're not moving in the same direction, that they're not of the same mind, and they, they, these two are going at it. And so I want to make that appeal to us in the body of Christ. That that's not the page we want to be on. Let's roll on to verse 4. Here's what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He says, listen, we, we, we need to be looking for opportunities to celebrate. That's what he says in verse number 4. Look for opportunities to rejoice. In the midst of your prison, in the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your personal drama, learn to be people who celebrate and worship God. Then he says in verse number 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be gentle to each other. The Lord is watching. The Lord is at hand. That's what that means. Be gentle to each other. Treat each other with a spirit of gentleness. And let it be known that you're doing it to all men, to everybody. Treat everybody with a level of gentleness. Gentleness means to be gracious. And it means to forbear. It means to be gracious and tolerate. Learn to tolerate other people. I think it's, it's tragic that we don't learn to have a level of, of tolerance for other people. Okay, they may, they, they may not dot the eye like you. They may not cross the T like you. They may not do it the way you want to be, to be doing it. And they're, they're, they might be doing something that irks you or disturbs you or bothers you. It's okay. You do stuff too. We're all guilty of not, of, of not of doing something that's irritable <laughs> to other people. You do something too. That's irritating for you to act like you don't ever do nothing, that, that you're perfect and you, die, you do everything right. No, you don't. So forbear, the scripture says. Jesus tells us, be gentle. That's what gentleness means. Forbear, tolerate, be gracious to other people. God's working on all of us. God is working on all of us. We are all a work in progress. You are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. God's working on all of us. We jacked up jokers. We messed up. But God is tolerating us and being, wanting us to be patient with each other. Let me roll on to the next thing. Here's the next thing he talks about. He talks about in verses 
6 through 9, he gives us direction to maintain peace amidst challenges. Let me talk about that for a moment. Here's some clear directions on how we can maintain peace in the middle of challenges that we have. And that's what he talks about in verses 6 through 9. Let me, let me, let me lay these out before you very quickly. This, this, again, is significant and important, I feel, and, 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 and powerful for us. He says in verse number uh, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verses 6 and 7, he says, don't worry about anything in verse number 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. I think I preached recently. Don't worry. Be happy. Stop, stop getting stressed out. Yeah, the word anxious, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Uh, be anxious for nothing. That word anxious uh, means don't allow yourself to be pulled in opposing directions. Should I go over here? Should I go over there? Which way should I go? Stop being pulled. Be anxious for nothing. Don't let anything get you all twisted and distorted and pulled and to the left and pulled to the right. No. Be anxious for nothing. Don't let anything enter into your domain and pull you in two separate directions. But then he says this. He says, he gives us here in verse number six. He says, but in everything, in everything you face by prayer and supplication. I'm glad he says this, prayer and supplication. The word prayer means to make your request known to God. Take your issues before the Lord. Get on your knees and cry out to God and lay it at the altar. Make your request known to God. Now, I want to spend a moment and talk about this because I think it's important that we learn how to pray. Because one of the things that irritates me is I hear people praying and they are, it's one thing to make your request known but it's another thing to inform God. You don't need to inform God. He already knows what you have need of before you ask. What's the distinction? Make your request of what it is you want God to do. That's what this, this making your request to God is. Don't, don't tell God how to fix it. Don't give him instructions. He's God. He's been God a long time. He don't need your help. Him been God a long time. He been God a long time. He don't need your assistance. He says, just make your request known. Tell God what you want. Don't inform him of the situation. He already knows about it. And so that's, that's what prayer means, to make your request known. And supplication means to intercede. I'm, I'm interceding. I'm coming on behalf of somebody else and holding up their requests before God. So I'm coming before the Lord and make it known to him. Make your request known to him of what you want God to do. We're asking for healing. We're asking for deliverance. We're asking for a breakthrough. We're asking for resources. We're asking for a miracle. We're asking you to step in and bring peace. We're asking you to work it out. Make your request known and, and do it by praying, interceding, bringing it to God. Here's, you know, Prosukamai is this Greek word for prayer. It means we're bringing it to God. That's what it, that's, I meant to say that about prayer. It's we're bringing our requests to the eternal God and we're interceding. That word supplication means I'm praying on behalf of somebody else. 
of what they're asking God to do. But he doesn't stop there. He says, uh, be anxious for nothing but in, in everything, in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, he says. With thanksgiving. Somebody say, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, he tells us, verses 17 in 1 Thessalonians 15. 1, slow down, Pastor. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 tells us to mix our prayer with thanksgiving. That we ought to come to God and give him thanks. I believe we can thank God for what he's already done even before he does it. That's how, that's how strong my confidence is in God. I can thank him ahead of time. And he wants us to learn to thank him ahead of time. We don't have to wait till he does it. Go ahead and give him the praise ahead of time is what he, he tells us to do with thanksgiving. And then he says right here in verse number six, go back to verse number uh, six. He says with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request with an S be made known to God. Come before the Lord and make it known to him. And that's what prayer is. Prosukamai is the Greek word. Bring your request to God. And I, and I, and I want to just settle. Uh, I want to just settle on this point for a moment. Because I think it's critically important. In our prayer life that we don't try to tell God what to do. That's irritating. To me, and I know it's irritating to God as if he doesn't know what he's doing. We're not telling God what to do. We're not informing him. We're just making our request. Let our request be made known to God. I love that. I love that. That's, that's a powerful verse. And then it says this. We, make our, uh, we don't give God directions. We, 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 we <laughs> slow down, Pastor. We give our request to God. It doesn't mean that we give him Directions. There's that point there. I know I've, I've got to make sure I go through these because I know y'all taking notes. But I got to remind us today. Uh, let's not do that. But instead, here's what this says. It says, um, here's how we have peace in verse number seven. And the peace of God. And the peace of God. The fruit of of this prayer life, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, here's, here's the fruit of, 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 of a prayer life. Here's the fruit. Anybody who doesn't have peace, it means they don't have a good prayer life. But when you learn how to pray and don't worry and don't have anxiety and learn how to intercede and pray with thanksgiving, couple it with thanksgiving, it says this, here's the fruit, here's the benefit and the peace of God. I love it. And the peace of God, which surpasses understand, all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will bring you peace and be a protection of your heart and your, and your mind to keep you from losing your mind, to keep you from going crazy, from keeping you from losing your, your sanity. Some of y'all have been through enough stuff in your life that you should have lost your mind. But the peace of God kept you from losing your mind. Woo, glory to God. It's his peace that came and calmed you down. Why? Because you learn how to give it to him. You learn not to have anxiety. You learn not to be pulled in opposing directions. Because you learned 
how to pray and make supplication. You learn how to join it with supplication and thanksgiving. You learn how to give God praise and thanks and to make your request known to God, to bring it to him and lay it at his altar. You learn how to do that. Oh, that's powerful. It's profound. It's amazing. It's, it's critical. It's important. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that God wants you and I to learn how to do. And I love, I love this passage here because he's given us clear instructions about how to have the peace of God. He wants you and I to have it. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me go on one more step here. Let's, let's roll on to how to maintain peace amidst challenges. And uh, he, gives us, he gives us the thoughts that we ought to have. He tells us, here's how we ought to think. Here are the thoughts that maintain peace. And this is in verse number eight. Finally, brethren, verse eight. Finally, folks, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This has to do with your thought life. If anything praiseworthy, he says, anything worthy of praise, meditate. That word meditate means to regurgitate, to chew on it, to ponder it, to think and rethink on these things. Here's the thing that here's another thing that will cause stress when you don't know how to control your thought life. And he gives us a string of things that ought to be in our thought life. And if they don't fit in the categories listed here, kick it out of your thought life. As a man thinketh, so is he. Your thought life makes the determination of whether or not you can have peace. Look at, look at these things he lays out. He, he rolls down through them. He says, he says, whatever things are true, that means you want to think about the things that are truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to think of things about God and whatever's holy and righteous. I'm running ahead of myself. Truth. You think about God's truth, the word, his word is truth. Whatever things are noble, that means honorable, dignified. Think about things that, are, that bring honor, is what he says. Whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, that means whatever things are righteous, in right standing. Don't, don't ponder the wrong things. That devil wants you, your mind to be filled with the wrong things. Righteous things. Think about justice. What's, what's right? Think about that. Let that regurgitate. Regenerate that in your mind and in your heart. Whatever things are righteous, whatever things are pure, it means holy. The word pure, pure means think about holiness. Let that be in your mind. Some of y'all are reading books and looking at images and watching pictures and watching movies that's filling your mind with impure things, unholy things. That's why you don't have peace. Because you're not thinking and pondering and regurgitating what's holy. Whatever things are lovely, that means that which is pleasing to God. What pleases God? If it don't please God, you got to get, get it out of your mind. Get it out of, just get rid of it. And then he says, whatever things are of good report, commendable. These are things that are worthy of being Done again, commendable things. Y'all got that? Look at those list of things. Here's what your mind, control your thought life. 
Think about what's true. Think about what's noble. Think about what's just. Think about what's pure, lovely, and of good reports. Those are the things you ought to meditate on, regurgitate, chew it again, to chew and chew and chew, to eat it over and think it over again and again and again. And, I, and, and, and these are the things that God wants us to do. And then he says this. Let me roll on. Uh, let me go on to verse number uh, nine. These things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Here, this, whole, this, this section of scripture is giving us the, how to have God's peace. How to be. And you know what's great about the peace of God? You can have God's peace that you can have all hell broke up going on around you. All hell rising up all around you. Everything could be going backwards and haywire. But the peace of God can be with you. And listed in all of these things is how we can have peace. How you think, how you pray, how you make your requests known to God. And how, and then he says, the things, uh, the peace of God which surpasses understanding, verse 7, uh, will guard your heart. This peace will guard your heart and your mind to keep you sane, keep you from losing your mind. And in verse 9, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me do. Paul says, I've been an example for you. I've deposited some things in you. You've heard me preach and say some things and you saw me how I lived my life. These are the things that I want you to do. And guess what? The God that we serve will be with you. That's profound and powerful. Man, I could, I could stop right there, right here, just to tell you that this is what you need to have God's peace in your life. Some of y'all not sleeping at night. You stressed out, been out of shape. Here's the solution right here. Here's the answers to whatever you're going through right here. Here are the solutions right here. Boom, bam, there it is. Wow, man, this is so profound and powerful. I'm hoping somebody's getting some help out here so you can get the rest that you need and the sanity. Don't lose your mind. God don't want you to lose your mind. Let me roll on. Now, let me go to this next section. Here, finally, uh, Paul says, practice what you've learned and received and heard in Paul, and the peace of God will be with you. I know I, I got to remind myself to make sure I keep on giving you these points so you can get it, get it and, and, and make a copy of your notes and get that down. So get that down, and I'm going to roll on to verse number 10 now, which deals with a whole new topic. He now enters into a discussion about generosity so in verses 10 through 20 he talks about generosity and this is this is profound and powerful and he begins in verses 10 through 14 with a praise report look at verse 10 but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Here's what he's saying in verse 10. He's saying in verse 10, he's expressing his gratitude that the church in Philippi has taken their concern for him and expressed it by sending him resources to care for him. That's what it says right here in verse 10. Paul expresses his gratitude for their care for him. 
So he's thanking the Lord. He's saying, I'm rejoicing in the Lord that you, you in, at one point you lacked opportunity, but I'm grateful that you have rethought about this again and sent some help to me to help me. So he's praising them. Here's this verses 10 through 14. He's thanking them because they have sent resources to help him while he's incarcerated. In verse number 11 and 12, he says, it's not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's what he says. I've learned to be content in my situation. I've learned to do with and I've learned to do without. I know how to I know how to. To be a base means I'm lacking and I don't have what needs I have, but I've also, I know how to abound and have more than I need. He says, everywhere in all things I've learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. And there's a whole lot of you that could, could do well to learn how to do better in your circumstances and stop complaining. And so he, he, he says to them, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you've sent care to give me support. Verse 13, he says this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he, when he makes this statement, it's profound, it's powerful. This is the verse of verses. Everybody know this verse. Everybody know this verse. I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. He gives me strength. To be able to do whatever I need to do in the midst of my circumstance. And in particular, the application he's talking about deals with his circumstances as it relates to his economic condition. He's in jail. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who has strengthened, who strengthens me, who gives me the strength and the fortitude to do whatever I need to do. He says, I've learned how to do, how to survive and how to make it. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, verse 14, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Nevertheless, I'm grateful, he says. He celebrates their concern for his situation. He celebrates their concern for his situation. He is grateful that they have thought enough about him to send some resources down his path. And so he celebrates their concern. He's grateful. He's thankful that they have sent him some resources. And, and, and I'm, I'm celebrating them too, that they thought enough about their founding pastor. That even though he's in jail and even though he's incarcerated, incarcerated even though he's, he's, on, he's, in, he's on house arrest in his incarceration, they sent him some resources to help him. He said, you have done well that you're sharing in my distress. I celebrate that. In verse 15 and 16, let's read what he says in verse 15 and 16. He says this. He says there's a problem regarding some of these other churches. He says there's a problem, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, 
when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He's recognizing that there is an issue here. And the issue is only the Philippians sent him help. So there's a problem here. There's a problem regarding the other churches that they didn't send him any help. He said, I'm celebrating the fact that you did. No, you all were the only ones who cared enough about me to send me some help. This is, a, this is a, again, a, a powerful thing. Verse 16, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Thank you that you cared enough for my necessities. This, this is a passage of scripture. I, I love this passage. Let me tell you something. God used this section of scripture, this passage, to challenge me. And it was when I read this whole section of how the Philippian church came to support him that spoke to me about trusting God through the people of God to meet my family's needs. And I want to take a moment and thank all of those who regularly give into the pastor's love offering, give, give to help support my livelihood. Thank you. I want to celebrate you for doing that. I want to thank God for you that you thought again about my aid. And, and the thing is, I'm not, you know, what I, what I celebrate about this passage is Paul is saying, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid again, once and again, for my necessities. You helped me with my needs, he's saying, and I'm grateful. And, and he's grateful, and he depended upon the handful of people in Philippi to help him. And, and my thing, my point is, I'm not looking for everybody at First Baptist Church of Glenarm to support and help me. It's not, I don't, I don't want everybody. I want those whom God has moved on their heart. And for all of the years that I've been on Love Offerings, God has moved. I'm so grateful for those that God moved on your heart that you care enough about me and my family, and you respond to the Spirit of God to sow and give the pastor's love offering, to help me be able to live. And, and, and Paul, is, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm grateful that y'all have done that. And, and it's just a handful of y'all that's done it. It's a handful of all of the churches that he started. Just a handful. Macedonia and all these other places. When I left Macedonia, nobody helped me except for y'all in Philippi. And I want to take a moment and thank those of you who are giving and sowing to help me be able to meet my family's needs. I'm eternally grateful and thankful that you do that. And so, and so only the church in Philippi helped me. And then he says this. He talks about the blessings and the benefits of being a giver. In verse number 17, he, he rolls on. And this is profound and powerful too. This is really powerful. Because he's talking about the benefits of their giving. And there is a benefit to your giving. What is it? He says this in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. It's not that I wanted what you gave, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Ooh, that's powerful. Paul is saying to them, he said, it's not that I needed, that I was stressed out that I had to have what you gave. He said, but what you gave it's fruit to your account. It's to your benefit. 
Some of y'all need to understand when you sow and you give, you are building up something in your spiritual account. It comes up before God that you gave, that you sowed, that you made a deposit. And it's profound. It's powerful. It's amazing. It is the it is the benefit of giving. And I love that right there. Not that I seek the gift, he says, not that I need it, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Then he says in verse number 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Look at look, he he lines up like a machine gun. Here's all of the benefits. Here are some of the things that are the benefits of your giving. Here's what's being uh, uh, accumulated to your account. He says, I've got what you've sent. I've, I've received the gifts that you sent through Ephroditus. And he says this, you know what it is? It is, it is a sweet-smelling aroma. That's powerful. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Your giving smells wonderful in the nostrils of God. Y'all see that? A sweet-smelling aroma. Every time you give, God takes a whiff of what it smells like. He said it smells good to God. And not only that, he says it is an acceptable sacrifice. It's a, when you make a sacrifice to God and give, to, he's saying to them, and y'all gave for my support, Paul says, it's an acceptable sacrifice. Now hold up. He says, and it's well-pleasing to God. Look at those three things. Sweet smelling, acceptable for God, and well-pleasing to God. A sweet smelling aroma to God, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And I'm going to say that to all of those who, by virtue of your sowing into your pastor and caring for me, I'm thankful. And I give God praise for you because I believe that the same thing applies to you. And I thank all of you who do that, those who take the time and care enough about me and my family that that's what you do. Care enough about me that that's what you do. Praise his name. Glory to God. Thank you. And then let me close finally with verse number 19. Here's a promise that's given. Here's a verse that's quoted a million times. Verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There's a profound verse quoted a million times. And my God shall supply your, all your need according to his riches in glory. That's, that's powerful and profound because God will, in fact, supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He will open up the door. He will make a way. He will perform a miracle on your behalf. God will do it. God will make provisions for you based on your giving. And see, the thing is, verse 19 starts off with the word and, and my God. In other words, that ties it with what he's just said. And my God will supply. And my God will supply. you. It means what, what I'm about to say is tied to what I just said. This promise in verse 19 is dependent upon you doing what he's been saying in the previous verses from, from verse 10, that they cared for Paul's needs. They cared for his needs, therefore God can supply their needs. And that's profound. I need y'all to get that in your spirit, get that in your heart. That's the promise from God. It is the provisions that God has made available to you and I. That we can, we can stand on this promise if we are sowing and giving a sweet aroma, uh, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and God will supply all your needs 
all you need, all you need, everything you need according to his riches and glory. Now, let me close with this. A final note in these closing words in this. Let me close this with this. A, a, a final word, a final note in verse number 20, 20, 21, 22, 23. It says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. He says, verse 20, verse 22. And, and it says, all the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's verse 20, 21. I'm sorry, 21, 22, and 23. I love verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, especially those who are in the midst of living around an ungodly place, in the midst of an ungodly leader, in the midst of a culture that has rejected God and doesn't care about God. He says, but thanks be to God that there are some saints who are sending their greetings to the Philippians church and they're in Caesar's household. God's always got somebody, even in the worst of situations, God's always got somebody. And he's got somebody for you. And so my, my appeal to you, and I give God the praise and I give God the glory and I give God thanks that he's always got somebody in the camp. He's always got somebody in the camp. All right? Is that you? Are you in the midst of an ungodly situation? Are you working an ungodly job? Are you living in a home where nobody believes in the Lord but you? I'm telling you today, God can use you to be a, a light in darkness, to be the salt of the earth. He can use to make a difference in somebody's life. God's going to use you to help get somebody saved. He's going to use you to help make a difference in somebody's life who's broken, bruised, jacked up, who don't know Jesus, who don't, have not accepted Jesus. He's going to use you even though you're in the middle of Caesar's household. You've been listening to FBCG Live with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. It's possible to be a faithful and committed disciple even if you live or work in a world that rejects Jesus. If you've been blessed by this message and would like to help us reach more people through this ministry, please click the link in the podcast description or visit our website, fbcglenarden.org slash give to donate. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you'll subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week.